Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hallowed be thy name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's power in the name of Jesus. Take the third commandment, for example. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. For years, I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, but I stumbled across a simple but incredible realization because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value. It's the moment in time I realise that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it at church. How much value, how much worth do you place on the name of Jesus? As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was the son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshipping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. The only way Susan survived was that while her father was out, her brother would dig a hole under the door. He would pour water into it for Susan to lap up. On occasion, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister. After about three months, the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother. He told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she had been sitting and she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital where they began to rehabilitate her. 
When Susan was asked why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat, without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I would be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind, did it? This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith driven by a passion for God that realizes not only to be in relationship with Him, but to be able to call on His name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan wouldn't. What did Susan know? What did she experience that we're missing? Because let's be real. A lot of the people sitting here tonight are here for a girlfriend or a boyfriend or because somebody's cute. We're here because this is where the friends are. This is where people have fun. This is the popular place to be. This is where your parents make you be. But what if this meeting was only full of people that risked their lives to be here? How would you worship differently? Let's be honest. Many of us walked in here tonight not living for the name of God in a way that shows the value that Susan understood. That she would not leave a mat. What if we worshiped that way. How would we pay attention to the word of God if we knew that our families were at stake to hear it? We are in such a bubble. And yet 53 nations across this world have to gather in secret. Luke 9, 23, Jesus makes it black and white. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? If you want to come after me, you have to deny what you want in yourself. You have to take up your cross as an emulate the suffering that I'm about to go through is what Jesus is saying and follow in my footsteps. Jesus in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he does not have something fluffy to say. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That's good news. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask my father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. And here's where it gets challenging. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. For if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If Jesus, if, if our leader, our Lord, our Savior was persecuted, how much more will his followers also be persecuted? I kind of jumped you in at the second half of a thought with that first one. Remember I told you about Jesus saying, if anyone desires to follow me, deny yourself and take me across. I want to read the verses just before that, because this is what he's saying. You're going to follow me like this. And it happened as he went alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say that it's one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and raised on the day. Did you all catch that? Rejected, suffer, and killed. And then Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow in my footsteps. Rejection, suffering, killing. Jesus does not have a fluffy gospel. We get so comfortable in our padded church seats with our fancy pulpits and our trendy banners. And yet the, the gospel of Christ is not about being nice to each other. It's not about everybody linking arms and singing in harmony. The gospel of Christ is about truth. And those that reject the truth will reject those who bring the truth. It is a gospel of love, but it's a gospel that's divisive. It's a gospel of holiness and righteousness and a gospel of selfishness that we're supposed to deny. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, Paul takes all of this stuff, all this difficult things to hear, and he says this, and it's full of hope. But what things were to gain to me, these things I've counted for loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Catch that. Every, all these things are worthless compared to what? The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is it that Paul knew? What is it that Susan knew that we're missing? Because we have such a relaxed, apathetic faith. But for the knowledge of Christ, everything is worth losing. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What is it that they have that we're missing? This series will introduce a few of those people that are willing to suffer. There are brothers and sisters, people like Susan, who see Jesus as worth it. And we're going to be called to action. By attending over the next few weeks, you're going to make a difference in their lives. How powerful. Persecution. Persecution is defined as a campaign to exterminate, to drive away, or to subjugate a people because of their religion, their race, or their beliefs. I pose the question to you. Use your imagination. What if church no longer existed? What if organized religion disappeared? What if your pastors were drugged to prison? What if your Bibles were collected? What if it was gone tomorrow? What would life look like? 
it'd be different. It might be a little strange. What would it look like to no longer have church in your life? Access to the Bible that we so take for granted. 2015, 7,100 Christians, and that's a conservative estimate, were killed for their faith. And that's twice as many as who died in 2014, and it's three times as many as who died in 2013. In 2016, 1,329 churches were attacked. As of 2017, 215 million Christians across 53 countries are living under severe persecution. And that scenario of not having a church or a Bible or a minister is their reality. What you can only begin to imagine what I can only begin to imagine. They meet in secret and they're afraid day in and day out of who might find out. They have no safety as long as they choose to follow Jesus. Those are the underground church that we're studying, that we're praying for, that we're looking to, to learn something from. Tell me something, would you drift away from your faith in that kind of atmosphere with no church, no leaders, no Bibles? Would you drift away? Because in our safe country, a lot of you, when you go to college, will. A lot of the college students that have come through here already have, and they're in a country that's safe for them to be Christians. Their limbs won't be cut off. Their families won't be executed. They won't put in prisons like that to be eaten alive by rats. And yet they drift away. Would you? Christian persecution is growing every year. Remember, it doubled and tripled. It's growing, and it's at our doorstep. It is knocking on the door of the United States. And it's going to come. The frail bubble of safety that we call religious freedom is going to pop. Because Satan is at work. He wants to destroy the kingdom of God. He wants to destroy you and the people. He doesn't have to defeat you. He just needs to distract you. And if he can get your mind on what's best for you, and what's best for you means... Mm, not being about the Jesus thing anymore, then he's already won. Satan is working with brainwashing ideas like relativism and tolerance, and anyone who disagrees with you obviously hates you, and it won't take much for that bubble to pop and for our culture to turn on the church. Whether it's being classified as hate speech or whether it's the unhindered spread of the Islamic faith that so hates Christianity, one way or another, our time's coming too. I told Jackie last night, I think it's going to be in my children's lifetime that they're going to be meeting like this in secret. And I don't think that's a leap. Let me read this to you. Arizona church fights a ban against meeting in homes. Right here on your continent. This is it. When the church buildings are gone, the only place left to meet is in homes. And Satan has already hidden us off of the past. With only seven members, this church was ordered to stop holding activities, including Bible studies, leadership meetings, and fellowship activities in Pastor Joe Sutherland's home in Gilbert, Arizona. Alliance Defense Fund attorneys contend the appeal that was filed on Wednesday that banned religious meetings of any size or frequency in a home as being unprecedented and unconstitutional. 
Christian church groups shouldn't be singled out for discrimination. Oh, that's not an isolated event. Here's another one. House church shut down. No, in the headline, this is not happening in China. Chicago suburb is fighting to remove a church from meeting in a house. The house has been meeting in the house since 1998 with no complaints. Unfortunately, the owners of the home tried to obtain a permit, and the village permit police found out that other Christians were assembling with them on a regular basis. As a result, the permit's police ordered them to stop meeting in the house. Neighbors began complaining after the case went to the zoning board, and what had been going on for years all of a sudden became an unbearable burden for the neighborhood to bear. It's at our doorstep. Romans chapter 11 promises there will always be a remnant. There will always be those left behind that are worshiping Christ. When every other knee will bow to the culture, there will always be a few. Remember Elijah? He's going before God going, God, I'm it. I'm the only one left. And God goes, no, I've actually set apart for myself 7,000 who have never bowed their knee to Baal. Will you be a part of the remnant? Will I? Because when the routine of glamour, of lights, and stages, and pulpits, and events, and decorations, and big buildings, and attractive graphics, and trendy personalities, when they're all gone, what's left? God's people. The very place that God said is his temple, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the church in his people will not die. It can be persecuted, it can be pressed and crushed, it can be perplexed, but it will never be abandoned. Girls like Susan will be left. Those who are carrying the cross and choosing to follow Jesus. What is different about their faith? What do they see in Jesus that's worth the loss and the pain and the death? There's three kinds of people. There are those who are swept, those who will stand, and those who root. Those who are swept... They go with the flow of the culture. They're moving in a river. Imagine somebody carried with the river, just floating along, right? Ephesians 4 calls them those who are carried away with every wind doctrine. They look and talk like everyone else. James 4.4 4 says, and this is not comfortable, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. If you're busy trying hard to look like the world, talk like the world, sound like them, blend in with them, be careful. You're setting yourself against quite a powerful force. There are those who stand, those who say, you know what? I'm going to try this thing out. I don't want to like make too many waves. So I'm going to, you know, maybe I can have a frictionless Christianity and they stand upright in a river. These are like the second two soils that Jesus talks about. Those that they have no roots and they fall over or those that are choked out. Because what happens when you stand in a river with current and knocks you over? and you get taken away with those who are swept. Try standing flat-footed in a river. You'll be swept away every time. And there are those who root. Psalms 1 talks about this, that those who anchor themselves in the word of God are like a tree planted by the river who bear good fruit. Those who anchor themselves in Jesus, who turn into the current and press against the sweeping water, and then begin to step one step after another. And with every step, they're creating more waves and more current. And you know what? When you make waves, people don't like it and they get frustrated and persecution will come. 
because society is pro everything. They're pro gay. They're pro this. They're pro that. It doesn't matter. They're pro everything. But God calls his people to stand against what is evil, to stand against what is unrighteous. While society is rushing one direction, God is calling his people to turn their nose into the current, begin to plant our feet in who Jesus is and into his word, and begin to take one step after another. And while our society is pro-sex and pro-everything else, we stand out. 2 Timothy 3.12 promises that if we choose Christ, we will suffer persecution. And in the face of that kind of promise, if we're not dealing with some measure of persecution, maybe we need to reevaluate our faith and how much Jesus means to us. In many other places, making waves is very different. What's so different about their faith? What do they see in Jesus is worth it? Elevate their faith is not based on emotion. Their faith is not based on some sort of good principles. Their faith is not based on picking a religion that seems to make sense. They don't get some sort of emotional high when they're at Wednesday service or at camp and they're like, yeah, go Jesus. Their faith is rooted in something that was real. People risking their own family's lives so they can hear the word of God, so that they can worship together with other believers. They must have found something real, something tangible, something that changed their lives, something that turned everything around for them. Before they were sinners, they were lost. And now they've found hope in a future and their sins were washed away. And they've got to bring their families to be a part of this because they want the same good for their families. And they got to tell their neighbors about it. And they got to find somebody to find the same saving truth that Jesus gave them. And they've got the faith that they live for something greater than themselves. Because, y'all, we live in a nation of selfishness and a nation of our feelings and what's good for me. And it's not until we're willing to stand for something greater than ourselves that our lives suddenly become less important than the thing we're choosing to stand for. And we put our lives way up on a pedestal because it's about the next iPhone and it's about what's trending on social media and it's about the next movie and are you plugged into the next video game and are you here, are you there and we have to live for reputation and and who you're dating and all these things seem so important and yet all of them can be counted for loss against the knowledge of Christ and to belong to him. What do they know? They know that. They know that our lives are actually so much less significant Everything that we fight for and cling to and it falls short of the majesty and the glory of God, of who he is, that's worth suffering for, that's worth being persecuted for, being rejected for, and maybe even dying for. What do they know? What do they see in Jesus worth loss and pain and death? They found a relationship with the God of the universe. 
I don't know how to make that click anymore. I don't know how to turn a light bulb over your head, but I'm telling you that it's not about knowledge up here. It's not about having all the verses memorized or having the right answers in church. It is about they've discovered a relationship with the God of the universe that loved them so much as to sacrifice everything for them because before we knew him or loved him, he knew and loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our atonement. That is worth dying for. That's what Paul saw. That's what Susan saw. That's what people all around the the world, two million strong, not giving in because they found a relationship with Jesus Christ. They actually talk to God and God talks back to them and they communicate. And he leads them and guides them and ministers hope and joy and peace in the midst of terrible fear. The first supreme ruler of North Korea, his name was Kim Il-sung. He's the grandfather of the president, the present dictator of Korea. Back in 1973, he declared himself God and ordered that all Christians be removed from the country and executed. His goal was not one left in all of North Korea. There was a certain farm out in the boonies that won some sort of award, and the award was so great that he was supposed to show up and give a speech. (laughs) But this particular god was kind of afraid to fly, but he couldn't ride on any bumpy roads, so he had a massive construction project put all the way out to this farm of a nice smooth road for the god himself to come rolling in on. And while they were building this road, and it was in construction, they had to demolish a barn And whenever they pulled the barn down, they found living in the basement of the barn, 27 people. And they were pale from the lack of sunlight. They were Christians. And while living in North Korea, they wanted the ability to teach their children about Jesus. So they lived in the basement of the barn and they scavenged whatever they could do to eat from the nearby woods and forests, refusing to steal from the other neighboring farms because of their faith. And so underneath that barn, they'd been living for years, teaching their children about Christ. And when they were found, the soldiers pulled them out and put them into rows. And they told the parents, if you do not reject Jesus as your savior, if you do not denounce your faith, we're going to hang your children in front of you. And the parents said to their children, we love you. We're going to see you soon. Because then they put the, the parents on the other side of a line, and they said, if you don't cross this line, we're going to execute you. (laughs) Not one would give in. And so with this big street, this big road construction, they laid the parents down end to end, and they took construction equipment and rolled over them feet first towards their heads. Children, we'll see you soon. And those parents who risked it all to teach their children about Jesus died singing a hymn together. And I want to read the hymn that they were singing as they were crushed. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear our prayer. I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love to thee, O Christ. As in, may I love you more. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now you alone 
To you I give what is best. This all my prayer shall be more love, O Christ, to thee. Then shall my last breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry of my heart shall raise. Still all my prayer shall be more love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. What do they know? What do they have that we're missing? The answer is they have a genuine, real relationship with Jesus Christ that is so much more important to them than even their lives. They found something real. In the persecuted church around the world, they need our help. But you know what? We need theirs too. Because they inspire us to a deeper place in our commitment to Jesus. Their testimonies call us to take our own faith so much more seriously. And they lead us to discover the true power of Jesus. For the next several weeks, and hopefully from now on, we're going to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters. We're going to identify with them just a little bit. And we're going to support them. This week, we're going to begin with the discipline of prayer that Pat talked about these bracelets that you can come and get after service. Next week, we're going to write letters. You're going to have the opportunity to write letters of encouragement to people in prison and people that are being persecuted all over the world. You, with paper and pen, get to do that. Be thinking of Bible verses. Be thinking of what God might have you to be writing to them this week. The week after that, we're going to collect an offering. So be planning ahead. We're going to collect an offering. We're going to send it to Open Doors Ministry. And this is a ministry that sometimes gets people who are persecuted out of the countries, but most of the time they try to minister and help them right where they are. Because when you try to stomp out Christianity, it's like stomping on a grease fire. You stomp on it and fire splatters everywhere. And no matter how hard Satan tries to to stomp it out, Christianity will not be quenched. And on the very last night, we have the privilege of a missionary named Kareem, who's a missionary in France, to refugees that have been persecuted. Most of them are Muslim. And he witnesses to them, and we get to hear from them. That's our next four weeks, people. I'm excited. We're going to wear these bracelets because they are not alone. We're united with them in prayer and encouragement and support. They may be hard-pressed on every side, but they're not crushed. They may be perplexed, but not in despair. They may be persecuted, but they are not forsaken, struck down and not destroyed because they have the Holy Spirit comforter and they have our prayers. They have a praying church behind them. Let's be that church. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And here's a quote. This is a book called The Martyr's Oath. It was just printed last year. It is a current collection of stories and encouragement of our brothers and sisters all over the world. I challenge you, go buy one. They're cheap. You can find them easily. The Martyr's Oath. It will rock your world. And a quote from this book that I want to share with you tonight. I hope we can learn how to live for the Jesus that they are willing to die for. Wherever you are and whether it costs you anything or everything. Heavenly Father, teach us genuine passion 
genuine love, inspire us, challenge us, convict us. Lord, and I pray that we will live with the passion that they're dying with. That we'll take advantage of the temporary security that we have to make believers of everyone that we find. That we will take advantage of the freedom that we have to worship with all of our might the God of the universe. You are God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.